technical, it doesn't mean like boring. It's going to be a boring technical Bible study. What I mean by technical is that we're going to do a, a lot of cross-references today. We're going to let our fingers do the walking through our Bibles. I think it's so important where we are um, in this passage that we, um, that we understand what's being communicated and that it's not the only time it's communicated in the Bible. It's some of these things we're going to hear that are absolutely vital, if not underlined in our Bible, at least in our hearts and our minds. We need to know these things. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, everybody there? Awesome. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. You're so good. Lord, worthy is the Lamb. You're worthy of all of our thanks, our praise, our adoration, our very lives. And so we bring our lives afresh to you this morning. We thank you for your great love for each one of us. Thank you for how you love us, for how you cherish us. And Lord Jesus, thank you for how you nourish us. We are in need of you ministering to our hearts, our lives this morning. Individually, you know what we need to hear. Corporately, Lord Jesus, you know what we need to hear as a church, as your church. And so speak. Your servants are listening. And God, by the power of your spirit, would you transform and change us. Do those things that only you can do. And so we commit this time to you now. We thank you for the great things you're going to do. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So just by way of reminder, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul is the one writing this letter to the church at Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And, And you remember, we talked about this last week. It was the Apostle Paul who had planted this church during his second missionary journey. And he was there approximately a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer. And this vibrant, uh, awesome church has been planted in a very dark city. They They were shining brightly for Jesus there. God was doing radical stuff. The Apostle Paul left. He went, he continued his second missionary journey and he left there. He left the church uh, with leadership in place. And then after a certain period of time, he gets some news about the condition of the church and uh, pretty gnarly stuff was going on. In fact, most of this epistle, most of this letter is corrective. Paul, Paul loves these people enough to correct them. We don't like correction too much, do, do we, too often? It's not too fun, is it? But Paul loves them, and, and the, the, the kisses of an of a, uh, enemy are what? Kisses, wounds of a friend are faithful. Kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The wounds of a friend, that they, they're necessary. There's sometimes when we need to come alongside one another and help one another, to counsel one another, to encourage one another in love. And so Paul, and it's interesting because the Apostle Paul, by and large, at this church, they didn't care very much for him. They didn't care. He was the unappreciated apostle. And yet he said, the less I'm loved, the more I'm going to love you. I will keep loving you. I mean, that's, isn't that the heart of God? Have you ever had someone talk trash about you? And it's like, I got to love that person? <laughs> yeah, you're right, Lord. I need to love this person. Paul gives us a great example of that. They were talking trash about him. He was unappreciated. And he couldn't be with them. So he does the next best thing. And he does what? He writes them a letter And so the first 11 chapters are pretty much all correction. There'll be lots of doctrine that we're going to learn also. And so we left off in, we got through nine verses. We're in verse 10. 
And by the way, verse 10 is, I think it's the statement of purpose or why Paul is writing this letter. Let's look at it. Look what it says to me. Chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so what's the first thing Paul says here? He says, I plead with you. I beg you. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul coming in here this morning and he addresses us and he says, hey, listen, guys, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you, brethren, my family, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the authority there is no higher name, is there, than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's no greater name than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus, pleading with you, begging you. And there's three things that he mentions in this verse. And he says what? Number one, that you would all speak, what does it say, the same, the same thing. That, in other words, that every member would be on the same page in what is continually coming out of our mouths. Jesus said, remember what Jesus said? He said that a good man out of the good treasure that he puts into his heart brings forth good things. For out, out of the overflow or the abundance of the heart, the mouth, the mouth speaks. And the Bible has a lot to say about our words, correct? Doesn't the Bible have a lot to say about our words, what's coming out of us, right? Our speech is to be seasoned with grace. We're to speak the truth with one another, correct? Are you guys with me? The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about what's coming out of our mouths, what's coming forth from our lips. And so Paul is saying to them, listen, you need to be on the same page in the things that you are communicating, what's coming out of your mouths. And that's why it's so important that we get into the Word of God, allow the Word of God to get into us, that we have something to bring forth, and that we're all on the same page. Sometimes people come looking for counsel, don't they, from us as Christians? You guys ever have people? And the Bible says we are called to counsel one another. The book of Colossians says admonish one another. That word also means to counsel. But there are people that go looking for counsel, and they're looking that you would tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. And that's very important. We all need to be on the same page. When we're giving counsel to one another, we're pointing people back to the Word of God. Because it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what your opinion is on something. It doesn't matter what Dr. Phil says or whoever. What matters is what does God say in His Word concerning this Situation, this issue, and that we are consistent in giving our counsel to one another. This phrase also means, check this out, all speak the same thing. Paul's also, also maybe saying, I wish you'd learn to speak the same language. In other words, I wish you'd communicate and interact with one another. Why does Paul have to say that? I wish you'd talk to one another because there was divisions in the church, we're going to see in just a moment, where people were separating from one another after their own little cliques, after their own little groups to the exclusion of everyone else. You guys ever seen that happen? It happens a lot in the world, but it has no place in the Lord's church, you guys. It doesn't belong at all in the church of the living God. 
And so Paul is saying here, I wish you would interact with one another. I wish you would communicate to one another. And then what's the second thing he says? That there would be no, what does your Bible say? No. No divisions. That nothing would divide them at all. And we're going to see that there's a lot of division happening in this church in Corinth. The, the, the believers, they're suing one another. They're going to court suing one another. They are fighting over the communion table. There's, there's, a, there's a, 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 a scramble going at the communion table to get to the food for the agape feast, for the, for the, for the potlucks that they were having. That the poor were being not included. They were being shoved to the side in the church. They weren't loving one another. And listen, at the heart of division is pride, by the way. Because it tells us in Proverbs 13, it's by pride comes nothing but strife. So what's the cause of that? You know, where do wars and fights come from? Among you, James said. Don't they, doesn't it, doesn't it not come from the selfishness which desire, that selfishness which, which is within your members? There's a selfishness issue. There's a pride issue going on at the heart of that division. And so God, does God want his family divided? He doesn't want his body divided. And so Paul is going to communicate here. He's saying, don't close yourself off from one another. Stop dividing amongst one another. But third, what does it say? That you'd be perfectly, what does your Bible say? Perfectly joined together. That they would be united as one. Did Jesus pray that for us, by the way? Do you guys remember that? John chapter 17, I'm going to flip over there. John 17, Jesus prayed this prayer for you and I, gang. Isn't that cool? Long time ago. John 17, listen to what Jesus prayed. This is, in, I'm reading in verse 20. Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone. Speaking of his guys, his disciples there. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That would be you and I this morning. That's amazing, isn't it? The word of God passed along all the way to us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. What's the prayer, Lord? What are you praying for us? That they all may be, what does your Bible say? They all may be one as you, Father, are in me. And I in you, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. We've received of the Lord's glory. What are we to do with the glory we've received? Look what it says. That they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. So that tells me something, that it's a growing process. It doesn't come naturally, does it? Does it come naturally becoming one? It doesn't, does it? In fact, Paul will later write, we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It takes an endeavoring. It doesn't come naturally. Our flesh kicks against that. But the Lord says, no, this is the direction I'm working towards in your life. I'm working towards in your fellowship. This is what I prayed for you, that you would be one. And he says again, why? That the world may know 
that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus says that we would be one. Let me count how many times. One, two, three, four, five times in those four verses. That's a lot, isn't it? And he says, why? That the world would know that Jesus is legit, man. You don't, you don't read many evangelistic books, do you, about our unity being a, a tool to reach the lost? But Jesus says that the world may know that I've been sent to this world to give my life, to die on a cross, to rise again on the third day. Our unity should be speaking volumes to the people around us. But, the, but guess what? We've failed in this, haven't we? Haven't we? As a, as a, as a, not Calvary Chapel, West Houston, no way, Jose. <laughs> I'm talking about the church by and large, like the church worldwide, the body of Christ. Listen, we have failed in this area. And it's like we need to repent. We need to have a change of our heart, a change of our mind, a change of direction that we might be an answer to Jesus's prayer here. The church is designed to be unified. Are you with me this morning? That we would be connected together and not just Calvary Chapel West Houston, but First Baptist and Second Baptist and the Presbyterian Church and 54th Baptist and all the, all the churches that love the Lord Jesus Christ and serve Him. Amen? We are to be one. It's interesting. This word perfectly joined together in the Greek, listen to this, what it means. It means to adjust down to fit, to make in good working order. And the example I'm going to use is a belt. To, to adjust. You guys ever lose weight? A bunch of you guys are on diets. You guys know what I'm talking about? All right, here, I'm doing this. The keto, the Cheeto, north, north, south beach. I've traveled north to north. The word means to adjust down in order to fit. So what adjustments do we need to make in order that we would fit properly? Look what he says. The answer is in the text. We are to have the same, what did it say? Same Mind and same judgment. In other words, we're to be on the same page thinking and the same way acting and reacting also to the situations that we face on the daily basis as we're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's interesting here, same mind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your the renewing of your mind. Don't be pressed into this world's mold any longer. Worldly thinking, worldly attitudes, worldly responses, worldly direction. Paul says, no, no, no. Don't go that way. Be transformed. And that's it. That happens inwardly, by the way. How? By the renewing of our minds. By getting into the Word of God. And what happens when we get into the Word of God? What begins to happen? Changes happen, don't they? We start to, to simply obey what the Lord says. He teaches us how to do marriage, how to do life, how to do friendship, how to do business, how to do church. And all of a sudden, we start to get transformed because for years, I don't know about you, it was garbage in. Garbage in my eyes, garbage, garbage in my ears. And what's the saying? What's the computer? Garbage in, garbage out. You reap what you sow. And so then you start to get into the Word of God and what begins to happen. It's not me telling you you need to clean up your act. It's not some pastor or preacher or someone telling you you need to do this. And you, It's the Word of God getting into your heart and He's changing you from the inner core of your being. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of God. And the problem is the church, the Corinthian church, got their eyes off of that. They got their eyes off of that and they're 
We're seeing here that there's divisions. They're not joined together. And so interesting, something else real quick. That word perfectly joined together also means something mixed up, broken, and then restored to its original condition as it was designed to function. For some of us, we made a mess of our minds. Like I joke all the time, like I got two brain cells left. (laughs) Every once in a while they collide and something comes out right. But listen, we've been given something very, very special. Look with me at the end of chapter 2. Same book, just flip your page over or just look over there. We've been given something by God. Look at chapter 2, verse 16, the last verse. It says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of... Is that awesome? We have the mind of Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the mind of... If I've been given the mind of Christ, what is the mind of Christ? Philippians chapter 2. Flip to the right a couple of books. 2 Corinthians. Keep going. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. Hold your place back in 1 Corinthians. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy. How can we fulfill your joy, Paul? By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Well, what is this mind we need to be walking in? Look at the next verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Which was also in who? What did it say? Christ Jesus. So what is the mind of Christ? Let's keep reading. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but number one, look what it says, but made himself of no reputation. That's number one. The Corinthians were all about their reputation. And we're going to see in just a minute, I'm of this group, I'm of that group, our group's better than your group, we've got a better... We care all about our reputations. Jesus, it says here about our Lord, the mind of Christ, you make yourself of no reputation. Number two, what does it say? Taking the form of a bondservant. Taking the form of a bond, being a servant. Jesus said what? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, as a Christian, we should be serving the Lord and serving one another. There is no such thing as a serviceless Christianity. Because the ultimate servant is living in your heart. And to have the mind of Christ, we take the form of a bondservant. We're serving others, willing to lay down our lives for others. A servant lives to make other people's lives better. Isn't that great? Our flesh kicks against that, but that's the direction the Lord wants to go. What's third? Look what it says, next verse. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Humility. Humbling ourselves. The Bible tells us over and over, pride goes before 
destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is our enemy, you guys. It's so sneaky. It's so subtle. We often don't realize we're walking in pride until we slam, until we wipe out, until we fumble. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We are to humble ourselves under his mighty hand and allow him to lift us up, to allow him to strengthen us and to bring us where he wants us to be. That's the mind of Christ. One more thing. There's four things here. Look at the last thing it says. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Well, how do we do that? If I'm going to have the mind of Christ, what's the fourth thing? To be obedient to the point of death, the death of the cross, Listen, Jesus said, if we want to follow him, he said we need to deny ourselves and to take up our cross monthly, once a year, how long, how often, daily, and follow him. It's say no to myself, my selfishness, death to my selfishness, and that's what keeps us from following Jesus. He's saying you need to die to your selfishness in order to follow me, to say no to your selfishness. And what happens? Pastor, if I, if I die to myself and death to myself, who's left? Following Jesus. What's left? Following him. The greatest part. That's where you experience his resurrection life, his power, his grace, his beauty, his glory. When we say no to our selfishness, the problem at Corinth was what? They were puffed up with pride. They were unwilling to love one another and serve one another. Well, we'll see that in just a moment. They were, they were not perfectly joined together. Let, let me repeat this definition for you one more time. It means something mixed up, broken, and then restored to its original condition as it was designed to function. You guys ever do puzzles? Anybody here do puzzles? This is not a trick question, just curious. I do them. You guys ever done a puzzle and you're like, oh, I'm rocking this, it's almost done, and there's like four pieces missing? It's like, who in the world did that? What are you thinking? Put the pieces back in the box, man. What's your problema? Just do it right. Jacked it up for us. Are you with me? Listen, God wants to put some stuff back together in my life. God wants to put some stuff back together in your life. God wants to put some stuff back together in this church also. He, listen, he is the great restorer. He is the great healer. He is restoring and healing us, listen, so that we would function as we're supposed to in unity and in oneness. Some of us, listen, some of us this morning, you quit connecting a long time ago. You quit connecting a long time ago for whatever reason. For some people, for some of us, you've been hurt. Hurt by someone in the church, hurt by someone in leadership. You've been hurt. And you know what? I believe this morning God wants to heal your hurts. Because here's the problem. I'm learning this. Hurt people hurt people. Because you're unwilling to let the Lord deal with it in your heart. And you're holding on to it. And so you come in to church and you go out and you don't, you don't get connected to the body. There's no oneness. There's no unity. I'm doing good alone. Just, you know... We're doing fine without being connected. And God sees you this morning. And he desires to connect you and I together. That we would fit and function together as a family. How close is the Father and the Son? How close are they? Jesus said that we would be one as he and the Father are one. 
What is hindering that this morning? What's hindering that this morning in, in, in our lives right here? That's, let, let the Lord deal with you on that. I'm here. I, I'm open to fellowship. I'm, whatever you, I'll stay here all day long in fellowship with you, hang out with you. What's keeping us from this connectedness? We need to be an answer to Jesus' prayer this morning. Because look at the number one issue in the church at Corinth. He deals with first. Verse 11. Let's read it together. Let's check it out. What does it say? For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, my family, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. What are contentions, by the way? What are contentions? Fights, disagreements, quarrels, divisions. There's contentions among you. Now I say this. Here's what they were doing. That each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So Paul, here's the first issue. Divisions in the church. And Paul tells us here how he became aware of the divisions, correct? It was some people from Chloe's household. They had told him what was going on in the church at Corinth while he was gone. Hey, this work of the Holy Spirit is about to get detonated. Because everybody is divided in the church. And listen, some people say, well, that's gossip. That's slander. You know what I would say? No way, Jose. Why? Because Paul is part of the solution. As his ministry, as, as an apostle, part of his ministry is to address these things, to address the crises, the issues in the church. So they're sharing with him, with him out of love for their brothers and sisters, and he, he steps out in faith to do something about it and in love to do something about it. So contentions. Here's a definition. Here's some definitions of contentions in the Greek. Readiness to quarrel. Discord fired up by people living in personal ambition and affection for dispute, unnecessary strife. Didn't Jesus say something about a house divided? Did Jesus say something about a house divided? Will it stand? What's going to happen? It's going to get wiped out, right? So Paul is hearing this. It's been communicated to him. And he's like, this house is going to get wiped out. I have to address this. And he says in the next verse, here's the issue. Each of you, each of you, every last one of you says, I'm on Paul's team. I'm part of the Paul club. Oh, it, just don't you remember? Those were the good old days when Paul was here. Oh, he would, he would reason from the scriptures. He is the, man, he would share so much grace with us. And remember Paul started the church? He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He would go to the Jew first, but his ministry was, he was the apostle of the Gentiles. And so there were some people rallying around Paul, right? We're the Paul team. We're the Paul church. We're the Paul team. To the exclusion of others. Other people were saying, I'm of who? Who's the next, who's the next minister? I'm of Apollos. You guys remember Apollos? Apollos was that... Amazing theologian, slick orator. He was a great speaker. 
And it was Priscilla and Aquila, that mom and pa team, right? The, the tent makers that came alongside him that helped him get dialed in in his, in his teaching and in his ministry and stuff like that. And so some people at Corinth were saying, I want Apollos' team. He's the great looking dude. He is the guy that, that is eloquent and educated. He's polished and professional. And you know what they were saying about Paul? We'll get to this later. They're saying he's short and squeaky and ugly. That's what they're saying about him. They're heavy. They were, they were more concerned about the externals than the content of the message. Paul, Paul never wore a suit. He just wore Hawaiian shirts and <laughs> Apollos, three-piece suit, three-point sermon, just polished, dialed in, had everybody like on the edge of their chairs, had them all fired up. We follow, we love Apollos. Some were saying, I'm of who? Who's Cephas, you guys? You guys know who this is? Who is Cephas? Who's Cephas? It's Aramaic for Peter. This is Peter. So they were the Peter team, right? We follow Peter. I'm on his team. He walked with Jesus. These guys, other, these other guys didn't walk with Jesus. Peter walked with Jesus. He was right there. Man, we like how he preaches. He was on the varsity team. These other guys, they're JVs. Freshmen at best. Peter, var- varsity team, man. Yeah. And remember Peter was the apostle to the Jews? So maybe those, Jew- those, those Christians that came out of a Jewish background, Jews for Jesus, they are now gravitating towards Peter. Maybe Peter came to the church. Maybe it was people that came from Jerusalem that were under Peter's uh, 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 discipleship or teaching. And so they rallied around. And by the way, that's a wall, that get, a division that gets brought up too, isn't it? The J- Jewish believers, Gentile, I'm this believer, I'm that believer, I'm this flavor, whatever. We put up walls to exclude others, sadly. But then there were people that were saying, I'm of who? What's, what's the last one? I'm of Christ. And it sounds spiritual, you guys. Because you know what they should have been saying? We're all of Jesus. We're all of Christ. But there are people today that say, we're of the Christ team. We're of the Jesus team. We don't need church. We do church at home. And we pray, bless us for and no more, Lord. Really? We don't need a teacher. I don't need a teacher. No one needs to teach. Jesus said, you don't need a teacher. You know what I would say? Ephesians 4, God has given gifted men and women to the church as leadership There are some that he gives men, pastors, teachers for that purpose. For what? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. God gives gifted men and women to the body to minister. And so it sounds spiritual. At least three of the four here, they're elevating the messenger, the personality over the Lord, you guys. And they were saying, I'm right and you're wrong. It was an us versus them thing. They were all split up and splintered. It wasn't something wrong with the ministers, you guys. It wasn't something wrong with them. Isn't there a need for diversity, by the way? Isn't there a need for diversity? There is. I love that there's a diversity of churches. I love that there's Baptist churches and non-denominational churches and Calvary chapels. And, you know, if that's where you get fed and loved and cared for, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We go to different places to get gas, don't we? 
Some of us Walmart, some of us to, what's that little squirrel guy, uh, Bucky? Some of you guys go to Bucky's, go to the squirrel place, get your gas. You just, you're getting filled up, right? Getting taken care of. Hallelujah. And listen, God uses us as ministers and he sanctifies our personalities and uses our lives. But we are not to elevate the messenger. We are to elevate the Lord. He is to be increasing. We are to be decreasing. Amen. Are you guys with me this morning? Because we can exalt the hose sometimes. You guys know what I mean by exalting the hose? The instrument. You guys ever, you guys ever drink water out of a hose? You've been doing yard work? I, I'm learning because I used to do that and just put my mouth, it would be hot first and yucky. Oh. But then you let it run for just a few minutes and it finally gets to that what? The cool, refreshing agua, right? You guys you know what I'm talking about? But I don't lift up the hose and go, oh, thank you, hose. What a, what a glorious hose. I say, thank you, water man, for bringing me some water. But it always, it always has that rubber taste, too, doesn't it? And same way with us, you know, as ministers. Don't exalt the hose, the instrument. You, you, get, you have surgery. You ever go for surgery, and it's a successful surgery? You don't go back and say, thank you, lift up the scalpel, do you? Scalpel, you did so wonderfully. You are awesome, Scalpel. You say, thanks, Doc. Way to go. Same way with us. Thank you, great physician. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing that healing to my heart, to my life, to my marriage, to my home, in the church, with the, with the fellowship, the, the things you're doing, Lord. You get the glory. You get the credit. And so the Bible teaches us to respect our leaders, but they're not to be elevated above Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's, what's wrong is when we pick sides, and that's what they're doing. They're dividing up into different fan clubs. And so look at Paul says in verse 13. Is Jesus split up into all different parts? Did I die on a cross for you? That's heavy. Were you baptized in my name? And, and, and it's almost like you anticipate them when they're, they're hearing this or they're reading this saying, that's dumb, Paul. And, and Paul would say, then why do you elevate me to a place only Jesus should have? You're elevating me to that place that only belongs to the Lord. And now Paul talks about baptism. He kind of, and that's something we divide over, isn't it? Oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Look at verse 14. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Sounds like a name of a cereal, doesn't it? Crispus. Why? Lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Yes, oh, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Why? Look at the next verse. This is so important. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to what? But to preach the gospel. How? Not with wisdom of words. Why? Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no Effect. So Paul's like, I'm praising God. Verse 14. I only baptized Crispus and Gaius. Oh, you know, I remember, I almost forgot I baptized the household of Stephanus too. Other than that, that's about it. You know, Paul's saying, I deliberately didn't baptize all of you because I didn't want it to be the Apostle Paul show. And look what he says. Jesus did not send me to baptize Isn't that interesting? This is an issue that the church divides over. Did you know that? You guys know that this morning? 
this week I was at the assisted living. I do services every Wednesday for the assisted living, for the Alzheimer's people and um, precious saints over there, the people that gather. But a lady came, came to me and was saying that, um, do I believe or she believes that you need to be baptized in order to be saved? And I was like, a time out. That, by the way, that's called baptismal regeneration. That's what people call it. That's a big theological term. And I said, uh, you know, I, I have a problem with that because now you're adding something to the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Did the thief, did he get down to get baptized? Did Jesus tell him, you need to get baptized, otherwise you can't be saved? No. And I'm not comfortable. I'm not going there. But I, I, pointed, I pointed it out to her what the Bible says. Here's what the scriptures say. And it's amazing. I don't find it. It's, it's the Lord that we're in this chapter. And I said to her, listen, if it was necessary to be saved, then guess what? This passage makes no sense at all. Paul would have said, I'm glad I baptized every single one of you because that's how you get saved. Are you with me? Are you following still with me? Not only did the thief not wasn't able to get baptized, I've ministered to people on their deathbed that gave their life to Jesus. And I asked her, so they're not going, they're not going to heaven because they didn't get baptized? And then I was like, that was it. Let's change the little, let's change the subject here. Listen, we are to get baptized in obedience, not for salvation. Jesus said to go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, that's something else we divide over. Do we do it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Or do we do it, according to Acts 2, in the name of Jesus only? The first baptism I ever did was at our pool, at our house. And people are getting baptized. It's glorious. Beautiful. Music's playing. We're worshiping the Lord. People are getting dunked, brought up out of the water. And so I say, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. And one guy in the crowd says to me, you didn't baptize in the name of Jesus. I'm like, where did that come from? You didn't do it right. I'm like, so it didn't take? What do you mean? I go, are you next? Because I'm going to get you down here a little longer. Just dunk you a little long. Just kind of soak you a little bit. That's, listen, that's what's in my heart, man. Isn't it great how, you know, that's what I wanted to do, but, you know, Jesus said, no, don't do that. <laughs> Doesn't it happen? I mean, that's a, isn't that like a sign that you're transformed and born again? <laughs> that you, B.C., man, before the Lord, before Christ. Thank you, Jesus. But we divide over that. Do we say it in the name of Jesus only I'm baptizing you? Do I say all? all? Who cares? The Lord cares about our hearts. In his obedience, simple obedience to his word. But then we then we get we divide even further. Are you ready for this one? Do I divide do I baptize them forwards or backwards? Or do I sprinkle or do I pour? We laugh, but that's there's churches that are divided over that. Isn't that crazy? We we laugh about it. Because this is a place of grace. It's like I mean the Bible teaches full immersion, but sometimes people can't get fully immersed. We've baptized people that are scared of the water. 
I don't fear the water. I think we're going to dunk them down and get over your fear, brother. <laughs> you know, toughen up. Toughen up, buttercup. Let me. <laughs> it's sad. We divide over formulas and methods. And what does Paul say here? Look what he says. I'm not sent primarily to be a baptizer, but a bringer of good news. Jesus sent me to preach the good news. Are you with me this morning? And then he tells us how. Not with what? What does it say? Not with wisdom of words. Not with wisdom of words. That, in the Greek, it's sophia. We get the word sophistication from it. We also get philosophy from this word. Sophisticated. I looked up sophisticated. It means to talk or reason in a complex and educated manner. That sums this up, doesn't it, what Paul's saying? Sophisticated words and philosophical ideas are unnecessary when preaching the gospel. The gospel is a simple message, correct? We're going to read about it in just a second. But this, again, context is so important. The city of Corinth, you know what they were, they were crazy over? They were crazy over philosophers and philosophies, the philosophies of man, about, about how we're to live, what life is all about. Man's solutions to man's problems. And they put a premium on good, eloquent speakers, powerful orators that had philosophical ideas, intellectual abilities. That was put on, that was a premium for them. They loved that stuff. And Paul says here, I didn't come to you with wisdom of words. Why? Look what happens. When we come with wisdom of words, with man's wisdom, look what it says. The cross of our Lord and Savior is made empty, void, deprived of power or force. Literally, it's made useless. Isn't that heavy? If I use human wisdom, if I use man's wisdom, worldly wisdom, the cross is emptied of its significance and power. That's heavy. Are you with me? You know what it tells me? I must, we must share Simply share the scripture simply with people. It's simply share the good news with people. Well, an important theme is being brought out here, by the way. In these verses, it goes all the way to chapter 3. And it speaks about the contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. Let's read these verses. Verse 18 to 25, and then we'll finish up this morning. For the message of the cross is foolishness. To who? To those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Thank you, Lord. For it is written, this is God speaking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Paul says, okay, then where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? This is powerful. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Wow. So I want to point a couple things out here. Number one, in verse 17, notice Paul said he didn't preach the gospel. He said he, he preached the gospel, but not with the wisdom of words. Now look at verse 19. He, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wisdom of the wise. And at the end of verse 20, it says, Has not God made the foolish, had made foolish the wisdom of this wisdom of this world also? And so look at chapter 2, verse 4. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Just peek over there. Paul said when he came to them, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not be in the wisdom of who? The wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the same phrase, here's the point I'm trying to make. The same phrase is, used, is being used over and over and over, just a little bit differently. The wisdom of men, the wisdom of words, the wisdom of the wise, the wisdom of the world. Paul says later in 2 Corinthians, the wisdom, uh, fleshly wisdom. And then look at chapter 3, verse 19 real quick. 3.19. For the wisdom of this world is what? Foolishness. With who? With God. You know what that tells me? God is not really impressed with man's wisdom. Listen, you guys watch the news? Or look at it on the internet? Or hear about what's going on around us? You don't even need to look at the news. Look all around us. You see man's wisdom all around us. Pain, suffering, hurting one another, anarchy, civil war, racism, bigotry, murder, ramping up. Look at, you want to see man's wisdom? How great man's wisdom is? Man, just walk out in your neighborhood. Watch what's going on around us. Sad. The workplace. Lying, cheating, stealing, hurting one another, gossiping, slander. You see, you see the fruit of, we see the fruit of man's wisdom, don't we? Listen, if there's a problem with the fruit, there's a problem with the root. You guys catch that? If there's a problem with the fruit, there's a problem with the root. Flip with me real quick. We're going to finish here in just a second. James chapter 3. We see the difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. James 3. Hebrews, James, right before 1 Peter. Where does wisdom come from, by the way? God does it, right? You know what it says in Proverbs 2? I love this verse, Proverbs 2, 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Lord says in James chapter 1, If we need wisdom, what are we to do? Ask, and he gives it to us how? Liberally, without reproach. We ask in faith, not being all wishy-washy all over the place. And then he talks about 
the contrast of wisdom here between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. Look what he he asks a question to begin in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? If that question would have been asked to the Corinthians back then, you know what they would have said? At me. That's me. I'm wise and understanding. Well, who is wise and understanding among you? Look what it says. Let him show or demonstrate by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But, here's the contrast, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. What type of wisdom were the Corinthians walking in, do you think? This worldly wisdom, correct? Earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. How do we know? Look at the fruit of their lives. They were self-seeking, carnal, fleshly. Contrast. But the wisdom that is from above. What does that mean? Wisdom from where? From God. Is first pure. Peaceable. Gentle. Willing to yield. Full of mercy. Without partiality. And without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. By those who make peace. You guys catch that? There's, a certain, there's certain fruits that are evident in a life that is walking in the wisdom of God. In fact, Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her children. You ever thought, what does that mean? You know what that means? God's wisdom is seen in His children that are submitted and surrendered to Him. The wisdom of doing things God's way. We have this fruit that happens in our lives that can only be produced by going His way, trusting in the work of His Spirit in our lives. Isn't it interesting? It talked about peace at the end. When we're walking in man's wisdom, there's not a whole lot of peace. But when we walk in God's wisdom, there's a lot of peace. And we have peace to give. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Not blessed are those who win the fight. Blessed are those who show how mighty and awesome they are. Blessed are the peacemakers. And what is Paul doing? He's trying to bring peace to this church. What does the Lord want to do here this morning? He wants to bring peace into your life. He wants to bring healing to your heart, to your hurts. Those things that are not where they should be. But only you can open your heart to Him. This is the place to do business. We're going to close in prayer right now. This is the time to do business with the Lord. If the Lord has spoken to your heart, give it to Him, the great physician, the great healer, the great restorer. When I'm pleading with you, give God a chance. Give the Lord a chance.
and watch what he'll do. Are you with me? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much that you are the great restorer, you are the great dealer. Lord, there's no one like you. Lord, forgive us for when we walk in worldly wisdom, the wisdom of this world, man's wisdom. God, help us this morning that we would be mindful of those things that you are mindful of. That we would truly be of the same mind, same judgment, on the same page, walking together in unity, bringing you honor and glory and praise and being a witness, a testimony to a lost and dying world. God, I pray for those areas in the body that are fractured this morning, that you would bring healing where there may be divisions in homes, God, that you would bring restoration. God, those hearts that have been hurt, those lives that have been hurt, that they would hand those things over to you this morning. Allow your healing balm to touch those areas that are in need of your divine touch. Perhaps those with bitterness or anger, Lord, that they would be confessed and repented of. Maybe there's areas where we've been lacking in our servanthood. We've been so selfish. We've been living for ourselves, and, and you've called us today to have the mind of Christ, to walk in that, to really, truly, genuinely walk in that. And this morning as we're in an attitude of prayer, like I mentioned a minute ago, this is the time to do business with the Lord. If that's you, God has spoken to your heart. You need to make adjustments this morning. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. The Lord is here with the power to heal. Let Him heal those hurts. That we might be perfectly joined together. That we might be an answer to our Lord Jesus' prayer. Maybe you've been listening this morning and you've never come to know Jesus Christ personally one who came and died on the cross for your sins. He suffered, he died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And he offers forgiveness and eternal life to you this morning. If you will repent and place your trust in him. And there is no other name under heaven which a man can be saved but the name of Jesus. And this morning he's spoken to your heart and you need to respond to him this morning. Let me pray with you if that's you. Would you raise up your hand? want to open your heart to Jesus. Is that you? Raise that hand real high. Anyone here this morning? Anyone at all?
Father, thank you again for this amazing, beautiful family that you've gathered. Thank you that we are your flock. Thank you for your great care, your concern. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, for working in our lives, stooping down to minister to us this morning. May we minister to you with the rest of our time together. May we minister to you. May we bless you and thank you and rejoice in that great work that you've begun in us that you're going to see through to completion. Thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we can walk in the newness of life each day, rejoicing in so great a salvation, so great a Savior. May we bring peace wherever we go, because it's your peace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we love you. And it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.